true hope usually is found when life is toughest. Um, and there's a quote from a guy that I read often. His name is Charles uh, Spurgeon. Um, and this is what he says about hope. He says, it's like a star not to be seen in the sunshine of prosperity, but to be discovered in the night of adversity. So if you're anything, anything like me, um, life tends to be difficult in, in, in many ways, and it comes at us in different shapes and forms. So we can usually do one of two things when life is difficult. We grow in despair and we drown in the darkness and in the adversity of it. Or we look at what the purpose of that is. Um, and for that, though, we need to be solidly grounded on the word of Jesus Christ. Um, and that's what we're, what we're talking about in this series so let me pray and get us started. Uh, Jesus, we ask that you would speak to us today. We ask that um, your word would just become very much alive, that it would run after us because it has feet, that it would grab onto us because it has hands, and just that our hearts would be open to what you have for us. It's in your son's name we pray and say amen. So um, a quick review of what we believe hope is not. I want to make sure that as we finish up the series and whether you've been here for the other parts of this or not, this will and should make sense to you. Put it all together, right? And this is what hope is not. Hope is not whimsical or wishful or even positive thinking. And here's what tends to happen. When we put all of our heart into something and all of our mind and we say, I hope I can make this happen. We tend to rip things out of the powerful and sovereign hand of God and say, let me make this happen because I am capable enough to do it. Now, I know that there is a lot of talent in this room and there is a lot of beautiful qualities in this room that God has given each one of you, and there's a purpose for that. But one thing that God does want all of us to acknowledge is that He is supreme, He is king, He is Lord above all things, and He wants us to rest in that. So in us saying, you know what, it's not about positive and wishful thinking, but it's in the person, the power, and the presence of Jesus Christ, that takes the weight off of us. It takes the burden off of us. And I've been sharing the last uh, few weeks as well that we probably live in a time in society and in culture where there is more self-help books than there ever has been in the history of this world. Just Take a stroll through your favorite bookstore, whether it be Barnes & Noble or Half Price or wherever else you choose. And there are self-help books on your marriage, on how to go through relationships, how to achieve a certain financial status, how to raise your kids. And the list goes on and on and on and on. How to deal with uh, perhaps an addiction, how to perhaps um, get that next pay raise. And this is... The ironic thing about it is that there is probably a wealth of knowledge like that, like there never ever has been. But we seem to be more broken than we ever have been. 
there are more divorces than there ever has been. There is more, uh, more folks who are struggling with different kinds of addictions, whether it be drugs or alcohol or pornography or a, lo- or a longer list of things. So what happens when we read this book that says do you step one through ten and you're still in the same spot? It doesn't do anything for us, right? We actually fall deeper into despair. This is why when we speak about hope, we're talking about the power and the presence and the person of Jesus Christ. Let's talk about what hope is, actually. Well, for sure, hope is vital. Think about that word, vital, necessary. We can be without food for three or four weeks, according to what, what you read from, from the uh, medical uh, field. We can be without water for three to six days. We can be with air, without air for maybe three to five minutes. But one thing that we cannot be without is hope. Hope that our Father, God who created you and me in his image, Genesis 1.27, hope that there is something good that will come from his hand. Not because we've earned it or deserved it. Think about this. And this should allow us to breathe in. Not because we've earned it or deserved it. Because, but because he's so abundantly graceful. I want to give you because you're my children. You're my son and you're my daughter. We can't live without hope. I was watching an interview uh, earlier during the week. And it was an interview of a sergeant who was in the army several years ago. His name is Brandon um, McConnell, I believe. And he is a first survivor from a roadside bomb in Iraq who lost all four limbs. Two arms, two legs. This is all that remained. He was a first survivor. And the guy who was interviewing him said, how do you get through something like this? And he said, hope. Hope of a better reality? His doctor was sitting next to him. A doctor who had a team of 16 other surgeons to be able to perform, perform a surgery where they would um, give him and basically attach two arms from donors. Never been done before. A team of 16 surgeons. And the interviewer asked the doctor, how did you get through this? And the doctor said, by having hope. We can't live without hope. There are some of us in this room where life feels like we're drowning right now in certain ways. And what I really hope and pray for is that before you leave today, you would hear him whisper, I'm holding your hand and I'm with you and it's my power and my presence. All right. What else is hope? Well, it's not about the want because God is so much better than a want. He is so much better than a tangible. I've got it now. I can put it in my pocket, take it to the bank. But we've all been around enough to be able to know that everything that we can touch and take to the bank or hang on our wall 
all that is fleeting, right? Here now, gone in the blinking of an eye, right? Think of an airliner, right? Lost in the ocean. Did those people wake up in the morning and think that could happen? No. Think of Fort Hood a couple weeks ago. Did people know that could happen? It, it takes this long for tangible things to be ripped out of our hand. The sad days, sad reality. But this is why our Father God is so good in that He says, Hope is not about you achieving or having this physical thing, whether it be a person, a job, a desire, a financial status, a diploma on the wall, a relationship. He says, it's about so much more. It's about me, he says. The one who is with you in thick and in thin, highs and lows, rain or shine. And unfortunately, we struggle with that because we're like, I don't really believe that he's here. I'm drowning. And if we're completely honest, sometimes we say, I would prefer to have X and Y than to have his presence. Most of us would probably not dare even say that, but perhaps we feel it when it gets really tough, right? And this is a relationship that he brings us into. He says, I want you to know me in that process. What else is hope? Well, many times it's ushered in through suffering. And we're not good sufferers, right? We're not. Anybody like to suffer? We're bad sufferers. We suffer when the AC is too cold. We suffer when we lose the Netflix remote, which is this thick, on the Apple TV. Amen. We suffer when the weather isn't what we want it to be because... We want to switch out of the high heels and we have to put on our swimsuit to come to church. We're bad sufferers. But here's the beauty of the suffering. We can either look at it as we're victims or we can look at it as we're part of this majestic plan that our Father is overseeing. That's tough to swallow. It's tough to chew on. You're not a random victim of chance just flying in the wind like a leaf. Scripture says, actually, that a leaf doesn't move without him orchestrating and giving the okay for it. Think about that. How much more does he not care about his children that he formed and fashioned in his image? Our master suffered. We went through the book of Isaiah uh, 53 a few weeks ago, the man of sorrows, he's called, despised by other people, rejected, mocked, spit upon, had his back lashed open, knew the pain that you and I honestly will never know. And I'm not trying to at all water down your pain. Not at all. But reality is that the sin of the world were laid upon him and his own father rejected him. A servant is not greater than the master. A student is not greater than the teacher. The suffering that we encounter in life shapes us, informs us to look more like our Father. Why would we say, 
how dare him put me through this? Any of you ever go to your boss and say, I want you to work on this project instead of me? He says, what you're feeling? I've already felt it a thousand times plus. And I love you so much that that unwanted jackhammer that is chipping and chiseling away stuff that isn't necessary in your life is in reality a jackhammer that is guided by loving hands. Hope is about getting busy living. We can get busy dying, in despair, and in the weights of the world and in our desires, or we get busy living. We read last week Jesus Christ, his passion, right? His passion on the cross. He's in a garden before he goes to the cross. He knows what's coming. What got him through that? Keeping his eye on the prize, capital P, right? I'm going to be reunited with my father. In that suffering, in, that, in those moments of despair, what do we do? We keep our eyes on what he has promised for us. Fullness of joy. We want to see it here on this side of heaven, right? We do, we want to, and he is so good that he surrounds us with people like this to whisper into our ears very often. He says, but my children will one day be in my presence. Fullness of joy, no more tears, no more pain. So we keep our eyes on the prize and we keep busy. We get busy living because the other option is we get busy dying. We fall into despair. And here's where we're going to spend our time on today. Hope is ushered in through delays. You feel like something's being delayed in your life. Before I read the passage that we're going to go through today, I'm going to invite us all that we would get our minds out of the basement of logic and that we would let it be engaged by faith and imagination that he has given us. that we would let our minds rise out of the basement, go up to the upper rooms, and let the light of his word shine in our hearts. Grasp it with faith. Yeah? Here we go. So, main point for today is that a perceived delay can be the key that opens the door to a life renewed of hope. Again, are there delays in your life right now? Is there something that you feel like he is delaying? Let's see how that unfolds. Once again, Jesus got into the boat and crossed Lake Galilee. Then as he stood on the shore, a large crowd gathered around him. The person in charge of the Jewish meeting place was also there. His name was Jairus. And when he saw Jesus, he went over to him and knelt at Jesus' feet and started begging, for him, started begging him for help. He said, my daughter is about to die. Please come and touch her so she will get well and live. Jesus went with Jairus. Many people followed along and kept crowding around. All right. There's a crowd. Jesus walks and there's a crowd. Why is there a crowd? Because people have heard and seen and experienced his power. That he 
raises people from the dead, that he touches people, and that they are healed. They've been sick for years. They couldn't walk. They couldn't see. He touches, and they're healed. That's why there's a crowd. I guarantee that you have seen Jesus flex his muscle in your life. It's not just stories that have been told to you. I bet that each one of us can go back and say, whoa, he protected me from that, and I didn't even know he was protecting me. He was holding me from, our, from my right hand. Look how he showed up and provided for that moment when I didn't have anything else. Hit rewind in your heart and in your mind. You've heard the stories too. You've seen him, I guarantee, tangibly show up. Hope is born out of desperation. This man has heard the stories, knows that Jesus is the answer. He's desperate. He falls to his knees and says, Will you please come to my house? Touch my daughter and she will be healed. Do you sense the urgency there? A father, his daughter is dying. He has one hope. He falls to his knees. Have you ever been that desperate? We don't see this very often, right? We don't see situations of desperation where people fall to their knees and say, can you please help me? It just doesn't happen, right? Jesus invites us, though, you and him. Here's a desire of my heart you know what that puts us in? In a, in a position of humility? Why do people kneel before kings? Humility, right? Honor, respect. There's hope that is born when this man is completely broken. He's got no other options. Let's not romanticize the Bible. Here is a man who's got a daughter and she is dying. He runs to the feet of Jesus. He falls on his face. No other options. You heal her. I know you can. I've heard that you can. I probably have neighbors who saw you heal. So Jesus whispers to you and to me today, I can. I can. I love you. I'm here holding you from your right hand. And he believes, right? He's believing. He has sure hope. Sure hope that Jesus will come in, flex his muscle, and heal. Let's keep going. In the crowd was a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. She had gone to many doctors and they had not done anything except cause her a lot of pain. She had paid them all the money she had. But instead of getting better, she only got worse. The woman had heard about Jesus. So she came up behind him in the crowd and barely touched his clothes. She had said to herself, if I can just touch his clothes, I will get, I, I will get well. As soon as she touched them, her bleeding stopped and she knew she was well. At that moment, Jesus felt power go out from him. He turned to the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? His disciples said to him, Look at all these people crowding around you. How can you ask who touched you? 
But Jesus turned to see who had touched him. The woman knew what had happened to her. She came shaking with fear and knelt down in front of Jesus. Then she told him the whole story. She said, he, Jesus said to the woman, You are now well because of your faith. May God give you peace. You are healed and you will no longer be in pain. And it was desire to hear those words. You're well. You will no longer be in pain. Here's what happens in this section. She exhausted all her avenues. If you're like me, exhausting all of your avenues is a great thing. It's a sad thing, but it's a great thing because we get to the end of self. And when we get to the end of self, there's either us digging a hole even deeper, which I don't even know what that is, or there's looking up and saying, please save me. She had exhausted all of her avenues. Twelve years she had been sick. She knocked on every door she could find. I guarantee that she tried everything that she could wrap her head around. Are you done exhausting all of your avenues? Are you done saying, you know what? I've got a father who loves me perfectly and I'm going to surrender my plan to his plan. He's saying, I'm here to catch you. I'm here to pick you up. I'm here to encourage you. I'm here to walk with you through this. There were no other options for her. It was Jesus. Similar, similar to Jairus. She's desperate, right? Desperate. 12 years bleeding, hemorrhaging. She probably couldn't go out in public. 12 years, everybody knew who she was. Seen as unclean back then. Paulie couldn't go into any public spaces. Think about the rejection and the humiliation and the lack of love and everything she felt. Again, don't over-romanticize this. Think about the pain in that woman every day waking up knowing I'm dealing with this again. What did she do? She's heard about Jesus. You have heard about Jesus, right? You have seen him flex his muscle in your life, right? She goes to him. She knows that's it. That's the answer. And then Jesus looks at her and he says, you know what made you well? Your faith. Your belief made you well. Your belief that if you only touched the corner of this, you'd be healed. If this was happening today, Jesus would be sued for malpractice. There is a girl who is dying. There is a woman who has been sick for 12 years. What does Jesus do? He stops. He has a conversation with the woman. He finishes healing her. He chats with her. If they were in the ER... 
And they showed up at Baylor today, and a woman comes in, fills out her paperwork, and says, I've been sick for 12 years, and this girl is here dying. She can't breathe. And the doctor decides to go and do tests on the woman who's been sick for 12 years. He's out of there. Connect for a moment with this. Perceived delays for you and me are not delays for Jesus. Why is he not just give me what I want now? He's like, I'm working in your heart. I'm your option. It's not a bad thing, but it tends to rip everything out of us because everything we're taught is you go harder, faster, stronger. You push people out of the way to get there. You stab people in the back to get there. And you just go as fast as you can. You'll get it. And he says, time out. My ways are countercultural. That's not how things happen in my kingdom. I love you too much to give you what you want right now. Let me put you through a season. Let me prepare your heart. Let me surround you with people who will love you in the midst of it. And you will remember, whoa, he was there. Whoa, she was there. She held my hand. She didn't resolve my problem, but she was there. So what looks like malpractice, what looks like a lawsuit coming, turns out to be, as we continue in the story, to set Jesus up as the great doctor, the great physician, the perfect healer. There is no time crunch for Jesus. But Poyo, I have a time crunch because I got to take care of that and this. And if I read about this, then my time's running out. And, and if I go by those stats, then time's running out. And he says, wait a minute. My ways are far above those ways. Isaiah 55. My ways are far above those ways. While Jesus was still speaking to the woman, some men came from Jairus' home and said, your daughter has died. Why bother the teacher anymore? Jesus heard what they said, and he said to Jairus, don't worry, just have faith. Your daughter's dead. He messed up. He stopped, had a conversation, healed somebody who hasn't died in 12 years. Why would he stop today? He messed up. He cost you the life of your beautiful daughter. You guys had time, but he chose to hit pause and have a conversation in the midst of a crowd. He stopped and asked, who touched me? Ridiculous. Can you imagine the emotions of that father? You were this close, but that doctor you went and fell at his feet at left you hanging, man. He doesn't love you. He basically killed your daughter. Write up the lawsuit. Sign it. But what does Jesus say? He looks at this father who just got news that his daughter died. What does he say? He says, don't worry. Trust me. 
Is it possible that in your delay, you grasp that with faith and with imagination today? You get your head out of the basement of logic. And is it possible that in a very loving voice, he says to you and to me today, son, daughter, don't worry. Trust me. Just believe. Too easy, Poyo. I don't believe that could happen. And that's where this beautiful news of Jesus Christ becomes a stumbling block for some. Because it's too good to be true, it's too beautiful, it's too, in a sense, easy to grasp. And we reject it, unfortunately. And the Bible says that the good news unfortunately, becomes a stumbling block. Instead of being the cornerstone where we build everything on, it becomes a stumbling block that we trip over because we say it can't be that good. In essence, I see it, I hear it, there is evidence, but I don't believe it. So this is where two things tend to happen. Is that we believe that his delay is without a purpose in our lives and we feel unloved by him. Because we're trying to wrap our finite minds. Nobody here has an infinite mind, right? Some really smart people, extremely smart people. Some PhDs in this room. Does not compare with the plan and the wisdom of Jesus. So when we try and understand the perceived delay in our life for whatever it is, or delays in our lives, we feel unloved. Because you say, if he loved me, he would just show up. Here you go. You asked for it. Here you go. But he loves us way too much to do that. Why don't I give my seven-year-old keys to the car if he loves to drive so much? He's not ready for it. He's going to go hurt himself. He's not going to learn what he has to learn before he's equipped and prepared for it. Second thing regarding this is we've got to let God's word be the anvil that comes and smashes your opinion and my opinion. He's saying, believe. He's saying, have faith. Throw up your hands in surrender. That is a good thing when it comes to how Jesus works in our lives. Don't worry. Just have faith. Jesus winds up going to the house where the girl is dead. He took the 12-year-old girl by the hand and said, Talitha Koum, which means little girl, get up. The girl got right up and started walking around, and everyone was, what, blown away, right? Surprised. The girl was dead. Jesus shows up, holds her from the hand, and says, get up, little girl. You ready? I'm going to close this up. Nothing is impossible for God. I'm going to say it again. Nothing is impossible for God. When we go to God... 
he winds up demanding more than we ever thought we were going to give him. Jairus thought he was going to go to Jesus and Jesus was going to give him perhaps a couple of pills and he'd have to take the pills home to his daughter and she'd be healed. He didn't go looking for a resurrection of his dead daughter, right? She was ill, but not dead. The woman with the issue of the blood just wanted to touch his robe and run. Jesus demanded a whole lot more. He stopped, pushed pause, looked in the crowd and said, who touched me? He wanted to have a relationship with her. Don't miss that. It wasn't good enough to Jesus say, boom, healed, keep cooking. Next project, we're not projects. We're daughters and we're sons. What are you going to Jesus for right now? He's going to require more than you want to give him. Namely, faith. Namely, faith. You know what the beautiful thing about this is, though? Is that he grants infinitely more than we even ask for. That's the beauty of Jesus. He said, you came for this, but I'm going to give you abundantly more. He looks at the woman and he says, you are healed, go in peace, suffer no more. She just wants to stop bleeding. He literally looks at her and if you look at the, at the original language, he says, your heart is well now also. Your heart. He cares about the spirit. He cares about the emotions. That's a good thought. Anybody can do a handout, right? Anybody can do a handout when there's need. But what if you care about that heart? What if there's concern about the spirit and the mind? So Jesus winds up giving her so much more. He engages her in a relationship. He does the same thing with Jairus. He shows up at his home, grabs his daughter by the hand, and says literally the words that either mom or dad might say when it's time for her to wake up in the morning. In a very loving and comprehensive way, he says, Honey, it's time to get up. It's interesting that he uses those words and I believe that he's trying to demonstrate that delay is nothing more than sleep for Jesus does that make sense the worst enemy of humanity just took over that home death the worst enemy of humanity death has swallowed her up and what does Jesus do? Does he start screaming? Does he start going crazy with a tambourine and a stick trying to make things happen? Put some pixie dust on her? No. He looks at her in a super kind, loving, beautiful, gentle way. Grabs her from the hand and says, Honey, it's time to wake up. Is it possible that Jesus can do that with your delay or your delays? I've got many delays. I'm just waiting for him to show up. And I'm waiting for him to come whisper into my ear, grab me from the hand and say, Hey son, that was just like sleep for me. 
because death is no match for me. And finally, delay can be the key that opens the door to a life of renewed hope. None of us like delays. None of us do. We don't like them in traffic. We don't like them with health. We don't like them with finances. We don't like delays. And he whispers into our ear this morning. He says, I love you so much that I am taking your faith and I am allowing you to go much farther than you thought you could. I'm extending what you thought was your barrier, your boundary. Why? Because I'm holding you from the right hand, he says. And I am here to help you, Isaiah 41, 13. And I am your God. So the invitation for all of us this morning is to believe that he is at work, is to believe that he is taking us farther than we ever thought he could, is to believe that nothing is impossible for him, Let him speak to you for the next few minutes.